welcome to Craft, Design, Edit, Sleep, Repeat. I'm your host, Lisa Conway. Welcome to my world where we try to understand the business of knit and crochet design. Good morning, good afternoon, hello. Uh, it's just me today and our lovely guest, Nikki Jensen of Hand Knits and Huga. Did I say that right, Nikki? Yeah. I did. Okay, good. That's one of those words that's popped up over the last few years, and I never know if I'm saying it right or not. Nikki is both a designer and a tech editor, so we've got both sides of the field today, which I really am excited about. So welcome, Nikki, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here. So we always start out our interviews with the same question because we really like to know how did you get started? What caused you to decide to design and did you design or tech edit first? Um, Well, I started with designing um, and that was kind of how I was exposed to the world of tech editing. But I decided to start designing in 2018 when I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, I'd been knitting my whole life since I was probably six. Um, and I stumbled across the Araha Knits uh, course for designers. And I thought, oh, wow, that looks like something I would love to do. Um, but it was an investment. I already had a career. So I sort of put it to the side. And then when I was pregnant, because I live in Canada, where they have a very generously long maternity leave benefit, I had this big chunk of time. And I thought maybe this is the time to make a go of it. Um, it was an excellent course. I, unfortunately, I don't think it's running anymore. Um, but that was how I got exposed to the world of tech editing because she recommends in her course that if you're designing, you need to get your work tech edited. And I just found that by tech editing, in addition to designing, I could get my eyes on so many more patterns in a shorter amount of time and learn about different construction and grading methods much more quickly than if I was just going from square one at my own design each time. Wonderful. That's that's interesting. So you kind of started both at the same time. Just about, yeah. I think I had published two or three patterns, and then I ended up deciding to take Jolie Kelly's Tech Editor course. I've heard really good things about Jolie's class. Now, I didn't take that one. I, I went through the TKGA, mm-hmm. but I have heard really good things. And just for people listening, that class now is under the Tech Editor Hub. Mm-hmm. Um, it Jolie still participates with some of the classes on occasion, but it, it's different owners at this point so it is still out there I will have links Mm -hmm. Um, so when you started designing did you have a specific person in mind that you were designing for um I do design a lot for my daughter um it's much faster and more affordable to knit for a tiny person than it is for myself um 
although she grows out of things so quickly. Uh, but I really enjoy making the small, you know, the tiny sweaters. And I also like to do the adult size and the matching kids size. That's a lot of fun. That adds to the grading process a lot, though, doesn't it? <laughs> I was going to say that, too. It really helps stretch my grading muscles because, obviously, the body proportions are so different on a child's body versus an adult's body. Yeah. So is that who you knit for most of the time as your daughter, or do you knit for others as well? Uh, I do knit a lot for my daughter. Um if I'm if I'm doing a design, say for a magazine, usually they wanted adult sizes, so I'll either use myself as the model or another adult that I can uh, get my hands on their measurements. I guess um, I occasionally, very rarely, do commissions. I'm working on a, a men's sweater right now um, that that a friend asked me to knit for him. So okay. And how many patterns have you published so far? I had to look this up. I've published 20 patterns between self-published magazines and one in a print book. That's not bad. Let's see. That's what? Not a, a little over four years? Yeah. That's that's a pretty good average of five a year. That's not bad. I was surprised, actually. <laughs> You're doing better than me. <laughs> I think I think in the beginning I was I was pushing out a lot more. You know, I'd see designers putting out a pattern every month and I was like, oh my gosh, how can I keep up with that? Um, and now it's it's a more casual pace for sure. And I I have several patterns that are close to completion but not published yet. I'm actually hoping to put them into a collection and publish them all together perhaps a book so it's going on it's coming out a little bit slower now but that's okay that's okay very that's that's right that's okay what is your favorite type of pattern to edit um well I mean just about anything if it's not something that I particularly enjoy that means it's probably good practice you know like short rows and socks, for example, not my favorite. Um, heel turns are the thing that I always have to just draw it out on paper. I have a spreadsheet for it now, but I still end up drawing it out. Um, so that's the opposite of the question you asked. That's my least favorite, but, but I still <laughs> like the practice. I have a few designers I work with who are doing some really like out of the box things in terms of construction. And I always find them so much fun to work with. Um, like um, Paul Hayesmeyer is a designer who I work with. He does a lot of men's and unisex sweaters. And he just, he, he does, he's got such a unique style. You just have to, you just have to look and see. Um, it's really cool working with him. And also um, the little, the little wolf knits she's always doing just not your average sweater there's just really fun shaping and it always really stretches both of us to get the grading figured out on those ones you do a lot of grading don't you yeah yeah I've gotten quite a few um 
when, since I started offering grading to clients, I've, I've found that quite a few of my clients come to me specifically because I can do grading as well. Gotcha. That's, that's great. And when you say out of the box, what do you mean? What types of constructions are you seeing? Cause I'm seeing a lot of really unique methods of, of putting things together lately what types of out of the box things are you seeing out there that that you think is really unique and and is stretching those muscles yeah um well with uh with brianna lapino the little wolf girl or the sorry the little wolf knits she she's been doing like single shoulder so lots of short row shaping across the front to get from the full bust measurement down to just a one shoulder strap. And that really stretched us figuring out those short rows and figuring out where the strap needs to land in relation to the front body. Um, the one I was working on with Paul Hazemeyer, it was, I think the sweater was knit um, length, like side to side. And then the collar was picked up and it was a V-neck shaped collar, but then he picked up short rows to turn it into like a mock neck. And it was just like. Interesting. I will yeah. have to, what we should do is link these designers um, in the show notes so that people can take a look because I know that finding unique constructions is one of the things that I enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure our listeners do as well. Yeah, Plus, I think it's really, really inspiring mm-hmm. to see these different things. Absolutely, I believe Paul works as a costumer, and um, so he does a lot of sewing, and so he just brings a very different um, point of view to kind of transferring what he does in his sewing work to to making knitting patterns. So that's what I guess I mean when I say out of the box. It's it's a totally different way of looking at construction. You know, I have a friend who comes from that world as well, and his views on knitting always amaze me because he, he thinks of things that would just, even as a knitter of over 45 years, I wouldn't have thought of it right up front. And so that's, I think it is, it's coming from that other background. Um, He actually was a professional corseteer for a while. I mean, totally amazing. So his, his view of how the body goes together and how the garment lays on the body Mm -hmm. gives him a different perspective, I think. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I get that. I get that completely. Yeah. So those are always really fun designs to have come across my desk, whether I'm grading them or just editing. Yeah, I'm sure. And you meant, we've talked about the fact that you do editing and grading. Are there any other services you provide under your tech editing heading? Um, Yeah, I occasionally will do accessible formatting. Um, I learned about this from Renee Van Hoy. 
there are a lot of really simple formatting changes that you can make to a document um, to make it possible for someone with visual impairments to use it more easily. Um, so occasionally a client will ask me to format their pattern um, and then they can put it on Ravelry with the low vision accessible tag and visually impaired crafters will be able to find it. Let's talk about that more because unfortunately I've been unable to get Renee here. Um, what types of things can designers do to help make their patterns more accessible? Um, it can be quite often what I see is they'll make a separate document uh, for their for their low vision accessible version. And it'll just be plain text, black, aerial, a large font helps, like 22 point or larger. And um, if you wanted to make it uh, screen reader accessible, for example, you could take out abbreviations and things like that so that it, when someone is listening to the text being read out, it's more understandable. Um, and I can certainly provide a link uh, to an article that I wrote about this that has all of the all of the very simple changes that you can make to your pattern to to make it more accessible. That would be excellent. I'm, I'm sure our listeners would appreciate that greatly. Uh, just had a big discussion yesterday on accessibility and um, <laughs> a silly little thing. A pattern for leg warmers that the designer had said, don't forget to make your second one. And then he realized that that was assuming they needed a second one. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, we, we do it with socks, mittens, you know, all of those things. Um, and then another person in the group was saying, yeah, she had made a special pair of gloves for her mother, who as a child lost the tip of one finger. And so every pair of gloves she ever bought, that that finger on the glove would flop. Mm -hmm. So she made the, the gloves to the length of the finger specific. And then the gloves fit so well that it's the one knitted gift she's given her mother that she's worn over and over and over again because they really fit and it's the only pair of gloves that ever did. So little things like that can, can make a big difference. But accessibility for our low vision is something that I really, I feel very strongly about. Um, Me too. It, it's, I think it's, I have a husband with glaucoma and so it's, something that has been brought to the forefront in my life. Mm -hmm. I have a dear friend that has multiple things happening that is causing severe vision loss. And so it's, that was when I really got interested in the low vision patterns because of course my husband doesn't knit, so it could care, he could care less, but um, other things he does that, may at some point be impacted. Um, yeah, so it's kind of a big deal. I think Absolutely. it's really good that you offer, offer that service, and I didn't know anything else. Um, 
yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, those are, those are the services that I typically provide. I've done other things like putting patterns into a layout for one of my clients and things like that, but those are the main things. Right. And certainly the Um, things that I'm most interested in. Gotcha. I, I personally offer schematics for for clients. So there's various things that tech editors do. So look carefully at their websites because they'll list all of the services they can provide. And maybe one tech editor offers all the services or all but one of the services that you really would like to see, but another one only offers one or two. So make sure you look at those things when you're looking for your editor, because that's a big part of that relationship. Absolutely. So the next question was Denise's absolute favorite. Where did your username handle come from? How did you come up with Hand Knits and Huga? I get this question a lot um, because it is a very unusual word. Um, Huga is a Danish word um, and it kind of became a trendy thing a few years ago, um, but it roughly refers to an atmosphere of coziness. Um, my husband's family comes from Denmark and when I learned about Huga, I just thought, oh, what a perfect sort of philosophy for making the most of, you know, our winters in Canada. And I'm sure you have similar terrible, actually your winters in Alaska sound a lot worse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it depends about where you are at in Canada. I'm, I'm close to Niagara Falls. Um, Buffalo is, you know, two hours away from my home. So it is kind of a snowbelt region. It can be pretty wild, but, but from what I've heard from you, Alaska sounds <laughs> even more wild. Um, the last couple of years have been, um, yeah. like our massive windstorm last January. And we had another one right before Christmas that was pretty bad. Oh yeah, we we got hit with a bad storm right before Christmas this year too. Um, so when I guess Huga kind of helps insulate yourself from that, because the worse the weather is outside, the more you can kind of cozy up with a blanket and look outside and go, "Ooh, I'm so happy I'm in here with my knitting and my hot chocolate," and and that's what Huga is about. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So that's how you came up with it, and having that Danish. Uh, connection with your husband and his family probably helped too. Mm-hmm. Do you knit other people's designs still or, you know, and if you, if you do, why or why not? Yes, okay. absolutely. I do. I mostly end up knitting my own designs, but I do often knit other people's designs as well because I just I learn so much. I learn a new bind off or a new cast on, or um, I learn that I make assumptions about patterns based on the way I think I would do it. And then things come out differently than I expected because I'm not the one who wrote it. (laughs) Like, for example, I recently knit a cardigan and I was expecting the sleeve ease to be kind of proportional to the amount of chest ease that I chose, but I didn't check and the sleeves came out quite a lot skinnier than I was expecting. And that was my fault for making the assumption instead of checking. But that's where those schematics, you know, um, 
when you're knitting something that requires sizing, make sure you look at the schematic and check the size that you're going for to make sure all of those measurements do work for you. Especially yeah. if it's steaked. <laughs> oh dear, you didn't steak the steak it before you figured it out, did you? I sure did. There's no going back. I got skinny sleeves. <laughs> oh no. It's okay. It's okay. It's you know, it's not Does ideal. Does it still fit? I think yeah. Not the way that I hoped, but yes. <laughs> It better. It's going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you can do in the blocking. To... <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I blocked those sleeves hard. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite designer that you do like have... to work off of? or? Um. Well, you know, I wasn't expecting this question, Lisa. No, I know. I threw that... <laughs> See, I, I should have warned you up front. I've got the list, but then I always find other things. <laughs> well, the the pattern that I've been going back to the most, I've knit it three times, is um, Maxim Sear, The Snuggle is Real. I love all his designs. I want to cast on all his designs, but I've, I've made The Snuggle is Real for three of my relatives, and it's just such a, it's a, it's a fun make. And it's a very, very cozy cowl, and I love it. Yeah. Is it a reasonably fast make, too? Yeah. It's it's double layered. You knit the outside, and then you knit the inside layer. So this, the stockinette for the inside layer is kind of like, oh, I'm still doing the stockinette. But, but the outside with the textured slip stitch pattern is a lot of fun. It's worth it. Maybe you could just... Maybe you could just uh, modify the inside layer to have some sort of patterning so it's reversible, and that would make it more fun. Yeah, I did. Um, the third one that I made, I did it with um, like a like a spiral stripe on the inside, so that was at least a little bit of something. And I also shrunk it down for my daughter, which I love to do. And um, I didn't put a lining on hers because I know she runs hot, so that was really quick. Gotcha. That's an interesting comment you just made about your daughter. She's one of those that people that has a warm body temperature. Not all of us mm -hmm. do. I'm literally sitting here in a wearable blanket with a blanket wrapped around my my legs, you know, trying to stay warm. <laughs> yes, me too. I'm wearing many layers, sweaters, and shawls too. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess kids, they're just always moving, so they stay warm. <laughs> Where do you find inspiration for your designs? This is this is something that reaches out to our, our beginning designers. Where do, where do you look for inspiration? Um, quite often, I would say the majority of the time, it's the yarn. I'll pick up a yarn and it... It sounds really strange, but it, sometimes it just tells me what it wants to be. <laughs> um, um, I think all knitters have experienced that at least once in their, their knitting career. <laughs> right? That's what I thought. See, I know it sounds weird to anyone who's not a knitter, but knitters know. The yarn knows what it wants to be sometimes. And um, lately, it's been kind of 
uh, I don't want to say nature, that sounds really vague, but sometimes landscapes, sometimes animals. I spent a lot of time during the pandemic just looking at my bird feeder. <laughs> so the collection that I'm working on is um, is bird inspired. So that will oh, be... That sounds intriguing. I can't wait to see them. You see, yeah. I get the joy of tech editing a good many of Nikki's patterns. So <laughs> I get to see them um, kind of up front. <laughs> yep, they're coming. They're they're on their way. <laughs> well, I am here for you when you are ready. So I lost my train of thought. I apologize. You know, like Tiffany used to say, join the crazy train <laughs> or the chaos train. Um, have you ever felt like the designing or tech editing just wasn't worth what you were having to put into it? Did you ever feel like it was time to quit? Um, not tech editing. Um, designing, I think I actually really very quickly came to a point where I realized that if I wanted to be a designer, I'd have to invest a lot more in marketing or learning how to market in order to get my design seen. And that is not something that comes naturally to me. I see some designers who really know how to hustle on social media or who've invested in beautiful photography and they're growing an amazing business. But at the time that I started designing, I was coming through like, you know, the newborn phase with my daughter and some difficult postpartum. And I just couldn't see myself, you know, dancing on camera for Instagram. So um, tech editing ended up being a better business for me to grow at my own speed. So in even though you continue to design, the tech editing is, is your primary yeah. at this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Designing ended up being, although I do sell my patterns and I sell to magazines and things like that, it does sort of feel more like a, a hobby. Yeah. I, I totally get that because I actually started tech editing first and it was that that led me to do the first design. Oh, that's interesting. And so I've, I've got a couple of things sitting there. Matter of fact, I've got a couple that should have been released before Christmas, but, you know, here we are. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, designing never really was in my thought process. It, it was literally Denise, my former partner here at the podcast, that talked me into doing that first design. <laughs> Well, so. why not? If you're a tech editor, you know how a pattern is written. So yeah. why not write yeah. one? Yeah. So, but I find it much more challenging to make my visions come to life hmm. in the designing area. It, it's much harder for me. So I'll never be a big designer. Mm -hmm. That's okay. I don't mm -hmm. mind. Um, and I love the tech editing. So, you know, that's where we sit. Yeah. So, yeah. For me, it's, uh, 
it's I I do really enjoy the process of designing. It just didn't it didn't feel like it was as easy to find people to purchase those patterns as it was to find people who wanted me to tuck at it for them. And honestly, I'm a little bit I don't always know where where I get these client referrals from, but I'm always very happy to get them. I think some of them have been, uh, a few of my clients are YouTubers and they must have mentioned that they were working with me and that's how people found me. Um, but uh, yeah, the whole the whole singing and dancing on Instagram thing, it's like, is this really how you build a business? Is this the only way? <laughs> yeah, I, I've been struggling with that same thing. Um, I obviously not a big poster on Instagram. Um, but I mean, 90, I think if you look through my Instagram, probably 95% are the podcast, mm. you know, mm-hmm. um, letting people know that the next episode is there, what the episode is kind of about and hope, hoping that they come and listen. Uh, because to be honest, totally honest the podcast has become a really important part of what I want to do mm-hmm. and helping designers that or people who think they want to design figure out those first steps and I've been taking this last couple of months really thinking about that because while I was down while I was ill um and couldn't participate, the podcast kind of strayed a little bit away from that. And Mm -hmm. I really am focusing on bringing it back to that. My, my goal is to be here for designers, people who want to, to build their businesses. And I'm still really hoping to find a good marketer to bring on. Mm -hmm. That, that because that's I'm the same I'm not a natural marketer I really mm-hmm. am not um, I honestly believe my kid does a better job of it than I do <laughs> maybe I should be hiring her <laughs> there you go <laughs> there you go well let me know how she, it works out because I'm in the market for one as well <laughs> well you know she's um she is my mod, my natural model too. Mm-hmm. If you look at my first pattern, um, I asked her, Hey, will you model this for me? And if you look at her, she just fell into it. But I think that's her dancer side. You mm-hmm. know, she's, mm-hmm. she's a, a dancer. So, yeah. So if you think of any tips for marketing, please shoot them our way. You know, uh, we, yes. we'd love to <laughs> hear what you guys have to say on this. So you talked about the group of designs that you're working on. Um, What else is waiting in the wings? Um, Or tell us more about the designs. Yeah, well, I, uh, I have, I have published one bird themed design already. So anybody who's looking for sort of a sneak peek, um, it was published over the summer in Digits and Threads magazine, which is a Canadian online magazine for um, all sorts of fiber crafts, and um, so it's a it's a blue jay inspired colorwork yoke, and uh, there's yeah 
several more like that coming. I think I've got four more samples finished and several more in various stages of of the process. Wonderful. So, I'm familiar with digits and, and threads, but I didn't catch the release, so I'll have to go back and look. Um, I also want to point out that I saw your Cinnamon Hearts in the email from Nitpicks. Yes, me too. I was like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting that. And uh, I guess I better make an Instagram post about it now. <laughs> I, I recommend you do because I was real excited yesterday when I saw that. It was like, yay, Nikki. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, Working oh. with those yarn producers is really helpful for getting your name out there. So. Yeah, and Nitpicks is has been really great to work with. Um, it's it's pretty easy to get involved in their independent designer program. Um, so if uh, any budding designers starting out are are looking for kind of where to start, um, you can submit your idea to Nitpicks, and they'll supply the yarn that you need, and uh, and they'll help with the marketing too, which is a really big help. Yes, yes. So Nitpicks is Nitpicks is a great company. Um, I I've used a lot of their yarns over the years, and they're all good quality yarns for not really horrendous prices. So yeah, yeah. I, I've also We Crochet is I think the same company. It is. So I, yeah, I've, I've designed a, a one or two um, crochet summer tops with their yarn. Because for some reason, I I find that in the summer, I gravitate toward crochet and cotton and those things. I didn't realize you designed in both. That Now, see, that's you should have stuck that in there somewhere. Ah, <laughs> I just did. <laughs> <laughs> so for our crocheters out there, that's, that's good to know. Yeah. I hadn't realized that, that you did both. So mm -hmm. anything else coming up? Any, are you working on any other collaborations? Am I working on any other collaborations? Um, not, not really right now. It's, uh, it's mostly just been my, my daughter started school this year. So my focus this year was growing the tucketing business because now I've got all this additional, I used to only be able to work, you know, like eight hours a week probably and now all of a sudden I've got 20 so mostly I've been growing the tech editing business when she's not at home sick which is almost all the time <laughs> kindergartners so, yes yeah. so best yeah. laid plans right so yeah. I'm in a bit of a transitionary period is you know long story short you know, every every year is a transitionary period until your kids get old enough to do all of the stuff by themselves. You know, like yeah. my kids are now old enough that they do the cooking. That's great. Thank God they've been around to do all of the cleaning. Oh, wow. Because I, you know, for nearly six months have not been able to do much of anything in the, either of those two realms. Right. Um, they do between my husband and and the kids they do the laundry that's great you know it's it's been a lifesaver these last few months believe absolutely. me absolutely 
but you know, they can get their own meals. They can, they can, um, get to and from the places they need to go. As a matter of fact, uh, to throw this in, I can't drive right now. Oh boy. So for the last six months, I've been relying on my kids, even more than my husband, to take me everywhere I need to go. All my doctor's appointments, all my physical therapy appointments, you know, everything. And it's usually my 16-year-old that does most of it. Well, that's kind of a win-win. They get the practice driving and you get where you need to go. (laughs) It's probably the one thing I hate the most. <laughs> anyway, so just just understand, transition periods don't end until they're about, oh, maybe 14, 15-ish mm-hmm. when they've you've started teaching them, when they can truly be independent in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Once they can be independent in the kitchen, then you're you're good to go. But, you know, when you still have to keep an eye on things while they're in the kitchen, yeah. So just expect it to continue to to go. Well, at this point, after being at home with her 24-7 for the last four years, like for her to go somewhere else for five hours a day, it's like, this is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So next big question is what advice would you give to the designer or tech editor that wants to get started? Um, well, the uh, the advice that I have for budding designers would definitely be use a tech editor. <laughs> um, it I know that it can seem appealing to let test knitters help you work out the kinks in your patterns, especially when you're getting started. Um, But it's not, it's not really fair, especially if there end up being grading concerns, because the tester spends a lot more time working the pattern than it would take a tech editor to edit it. And they're not usually getting compensated for doing that. Um, But if you if you need to, if you have financial concerns, you can always go on the Tech Editor Hub group and see if you can find a newbie tech editor who's offering their services in exchange for a testimonial. And that can be a great way for both of you to get started. Exactly. exactly. And um, and other than that, I would say just understanding that tech editing and professional grading can take several passes and lots of back and forth. You know, it sounds cliche, but communicating with your editor or your grader is so important and remembering that you're on the same team. Um, I had, uh, unfortunately, I had a situation where the designer um, didn't send me back her corrections before sending the pattern to her testers and then got upset with me when the testers found mistakes that hadn't been corrected yet and I just thought oh that's something that could have so easily been avoided if uh if the steps had been followed you know so yeah I yeah I totally agree with all of that for one thing a tech editor looks at different things than a tester does Mm -hmm. They're, they're both incredibly important parts of the process 
Um, I recently edited a pattern that is a technique that is so new in many ways that I, the cast on directions made sense to me. It seemed like it would work. I didn't actually pick up the needles and try it, and I probably should have. But knowing she had a really good tester in her mitts, in her mix, that this was going to next, I didn't really think it necessary to do that. And that tester did, in fact, find an error in the way she'd written the cast on. Mm-hmm. And so they're both really important parts. Um, I was looking at, is it readable? Is it consistent? Does does she have the grammar correct? Does she have the the right periods and commas and colons and, and those kinds of things where the tester was actually picking up the needles and doing the motions. And because that tester was familiar with the te- technique to begin with, he immediately spotted the error in the cast on. Mm-hmm. And it was like perfect. It was the perfect team for all of us to be part of that team and to be communicating. I loved being part of that test because we could communicate, okay, well, what about this? If it was done this way or said this way, mm-hmm. would that make more sense? That was really exciting. So I'd like to actually get more involved in my designer's test nets, mm-hmm. even if it's just as, as a, um, a watcher, you know, sitting back and watching the conversation and not really participating much. Um, I think there's value to that. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping to add that aspect more as I move forward this year. Yeah, absolutely. That collaboration piece is probably my favorite thing about being a tech editor. Yes. You know, solving those problems together And certainly I agree with you. There are definitely things that are just more obvious when it's on the needles. Um, And I do, I do edit some crochet as well. I feel like knitting is like my mother tongue and crochet is like my second language. So quite often when I'm editing crochet, I will end up picking up a hook and making sure that, yeah, I'm getting it that makes sense. Right. I have actually edited two crochet patterns, one of which never made it to publication. Um, There were so many problems with the pattern that basically the designer just really didn't know how to write things down. And I wasn't good enough at crochet. And I kept trying to encourage that designer to work with another more experienced crochet editor. Mm -hmm. The pattern went through like four rewrites and every single time it completely changed what was being, what was happening. Oh boy. But I, I've not made the leap into offering crochet editing. I do crochet. Yes. But I've never ever crocheted anything with shape Mm. right there's there's I've never crocheted a garment 
So sh- the the shaping parts would be completely foreign language to me. And I don't feel I offer the best service for that. Right. You know, I don't feel like I could be the best person. Yeah. And it's, I think it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like the out of the box thinking again, because when you look at a pattern that's written by somebody who is a crocheter and you look at, I don't know, when I look at my own patterns, I guess, as my own, you know, biggest critic, I think I, I, I feel like I really looked at this from a knitter's perspective and then put it into crochet stitches and I think that that can work, but it's it's limited because crocheting can be so much more free form. It doesn't really have to necessarily stick to the rows and stick to the stitches. It can kind of go wherever it needs to. And so I think I think to be a good crochet designer and and crochet editor, you have to maybe have that more freeform thinking. Um, and that's I, why it, it still feels like a second language to me. Uh, yeah, yeah. And like I said, while I have crocheted for nearly as many years as I've knit, I've not done as much of it. And I have never done the, the detailed things within it that would lead me to be a good editor for it. So mm-hmm. I... While my initial plan was to try to add crochet editing within the first year, I've realized very quickly, I'm not good enough for that. And that would be a disservice to my clients. So I have Tiffany, who I automatically recommend people to. Um, Tiffany, we miss you. (laughs) But... um, yeah, I just don't think it would be a good fit for us. And I think it would it would be the wrong thing for me to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think most of my most of my crochet clients are pretty, pretty straightforward. A lot of them include really great photos of the steps to help people get through. A lot of them are YouTubers, so they'll have a video tutorial to complement the pattern. But uh, crochet charts or just one thing, I don't know if I'll ever get the hang of like writing a crochet chart. It's just, it's so different. Yes, I agree. Um, Especially the fact that oftentimes they have to be, like you said, freeform. They can't, Mm -hmm. they don't fit into that, that box that knitting charts fall into. Um, It's a whole different ball game. I've yeah. looked at various charting apps and, you know, considered getting them just to play with, just to understand it better, but I still don't know that I'd be good at offering it as a service. Yeah. Which uh, which ones do uh, uh, crochet charts? Which, um, uh... There's a couple of apps for the iPad. Oh, okay. That specify that um, are more about crochet charts than I'll have to look them up. I'll put links in the show notes and I'll send you an email with the the links or the app names because um, I've looked at a couple of them and they're so intriguing. 
Mm-hmm. I know that Stitch Fiddle also does crochet. I've and heard I that. Yeah. I think that they're more, the crochet side allows for the more free form, you know, like the circles and things. Okay. Because cro- much of crochet ends up going from the center out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've I've used Stitch Fiddle a little bit, and I'll have to I'll have to look at that more and try to learn how to do it because I don't like being a I don't like not being able to say, oh yeah, I I, <laughs> you know, I don't want to say I can't. Um, it's not a matter of I can't. It's a matter of, am I the best fit? Mm-hmm. And I look at it. Okay age wisdom here, right? We always want to learn new things. So it's great to, to stretch ourselves. But you reach a point in your life when you realize that this is what I'm good at, this is what I'm not good at. And it's okay that there's something I'm not good at. Mm-hmm. And if it's if I'm not as good, I may be okay at it, but I'm not as good at it. Is it the right thing for me to do to try to offer that for payment when I'm not good at it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not, when it's not my strength, because we all have strengths and weaknesses, no matter what we're doing. And we get more and more familiar with what those strengths and weaknesses are as we get older. And there comes a point where you just say to yourself, you know what? That's a weakness. I can only work on it to this level of strength and that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's fine that I'm not perfect at that, you know? So it's just a matter of recognizing that, yeah, it's okay to let that sit where it's at because then you can focus over here on getting that much better at what your strengths are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so for our, our new people, take time to learn what your, your strengths are. That's okay too because maybe your strength is not a yoke sweater. Maybe your strength is the accessories, the socks, the mittens, the the scarves, the cowls. I've got one designer that I know that has never designed a garment, never will design a garment, knows that's not their thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and we all have to, at some point in our lives, recognize this is my strength. This is my weakness. Focus on the strength. Make the strength overcome the weakness allow the strength to overcome the weakness boy did I get philosophical there <laughs> but that, that was good though that was a really good answer to the question of you know for for new designers but also new tech editors you know finding what you're good at and what's your strength and what you have to offer um it, that's where the clients will come from. Right, exactly. Because the, your client, the clients that you really develop those wonderful relationships with, and as an editor, I will tell you, 
develop a relationship with your editor or your designer because that is the key. It's it like you've used the word a couple of times. It's a team. Mm-hmm. We don't work in a vacuum. We work together to make it the best. And as an editor, my goal is to help you have a product that people absolutely love and will tell their friends about. Mm-hmm. Because as much as you can market, the ones that are successful are the ones that the word spreads. Yeah, it's, it's that simple. So last but not least, Nikki, how can our listeners find you if they want to hire you or buy your patterns? I am on Instagram, Ravelry, and Facebook at Hannits and Huga. That's uh, Huga is spelled H-Y-G-G-E. And I'm also at hannitsandhuga.com. Wonderful. We'll make sure those are all listed in our show notes for you folks. Nikki, I want to thank you for spending this time with me. It's a little odd for me having just me on this side of the screen. (laughs) But we'll get there. We'll get there. I'll I'll learn to talk to myself for one episode a month. (laughs) Oh, well, invite me back anytime you're lonely. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. I appreciate that. Thanks, Nikki. You have a great day. Go take care of that little sick darling of yours. Thank you so much, you too. Check back next time when I talk about the tools tech editors and designers use. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you listen. And join the conversation in our Ravelry or Facebook groups. For show notes or knit tech editing and related services, please visit my website at arcticedits.com.